is we launched the SaaS Assure platform. One of the core buyer personas will somewhat be VPs of engineering. So we provide data protection for things like Bitbucket and GitHub. But oftentimes, VPs of engineering don't have that huge budget that they can allocate to new platforms. And so it's, again, you've got to take those moments to understand, am I messaging to the correct person or should it be to the CIO? And really think through solving for those types of challenges. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. I'm joined today by Stephen Thomas, Chief Revenue Officer of Sigra. Stephen has over two decades of experience in cybersecurity expertise and has led revenue teams at Risk Optics, ArcServe, Symantec, amongst many others. Stephen, welcome. Thanks for having me, Lee. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's a real pleasure to have you along. And Stephen, for anyone listening that hasn't heard of you before, hasn't come across your story, could you fill us in a little bit on how you've got to where you are today? <laughs> All by mistake. <laughs> uh, no. In reality, uh, the basics are this. So Austin, Texas guy. So if you're in Austin, give me a shout, say hello. I've been in Austin for 20 years, but the story started really by accident in the University of Texas. Small group of us who ended up starting a small uh, startup called High Point Technologies that was, of all things, eventually acquired by PowerQuest, that was eventually acquired by Symantec. It just so happened, right place, right time. So that's been a fantastic part of my story and journey, but it also early on kind of taught me the needs around efficiency, cost management, things of that nature. But that kind of quick acquisition period brought me into Symantec. And Symantec was really, for those of you that are younger in career, it was what is today your Microsofts, your Googles, it was the chance for me to build what were those leadership skills and capabilities around managing a business and learning how to lead from some really fantastic leaders. Rick Hoffman, John Ill, just really great people, Rick Kramer, Mike Keating, that I had the chance to be around and be part of. And that, from a kind of career growth standpoint, is where I kind of evolved and was allowed to continue to grow in my roles and careers and ended up as the, the vice president of America's channel sales at Symantec. It kind of got into the channel accidentally when I got back into Symantec. So for those of you that are in, in channel today, I uh, know that there are ways to pivot in or out. But part of my desire was to get back into the direct selling and leading revenue teams after my journey with Symantec. And so I stepped out of Symantec and went to, again, kind of the startup world and started what was Cyberbit, which is a subsidiary of Elbit Systems business here in the Americas from the grounds up. So it was the first employee, opened her office, set up healthcare, all the wonderful and terrible things of standing up a business. And that was really, again, kind of took me back to basics around how to drive revenue, the tooling necessary, the, it kind of takes you out of the machine that is larger organization where you've got a lot of the content creation and it, it brought you back into doing a lot of that work, being much more hands-on with the business. 
And we had great growth with that business. And then over the last 10 years, have really been involved in uh, building what I would say are kind of startup or maybe kind of your series B if people are trying to think from a revenue category perspective in that 20 to $50 million mark businesses and leading revenue at those organizations. And the thing that I would say has been really compelling over that period of time from a story arc perspective is you get to be so hands-on and drive not only the strategy of the organization, but really partner with product, partner with your engineering and marketing teams. And those have been invaluable skills and opportunities that have been brought to my life and invaluable relationships that I've been able to build during that period of time. You know, I was at Armor, Risk Optics, and then most recently here at Asegra. And part of that journey for each of those organizations has been often, either by fault of my own or by dumb luck, has been going into an organization with a legacy revenue stream and then helping them bring a new offering to market. That's exactly what we're doing here at Segro. We've got a, a legacy backup and data protection platform called Tigris. We've got about 500 partners worldwide that leverage the platform for data protection. And we're launching and just launched our new SaaS Azure platform, so SaaS data protection. And so again, kind of delivering that, that go-to-market motion and kind of figuring out what's working for the new offering and, and product. Close with one of the last things from a story arc perspective that I've truly enjoyed over the last five years is I've done mentor work with uh, Mass Challenge, uh, with Alchemist Accelerator, and a couple of others that have really informed and kept me lively from, I think, as you're talking with EFSTA, as you go and talk to new companies and organizations about revenue insights and go to market, it's helped keep me lively with regards to how people are bringing new products to market and what are startups doing that are different from, say, the legacy approaches or what might be historic approaches from my own chair. So that's a bit of my story. But Austin, Texas, six kids, two dogs. It's a busy life. <laughs> and a partridge in a pear tree. There it is. There it is. There were 40 over for Christmas, Lee. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'll have to work on trying to get an invite for next year, clearly. There was so much gold in there that I want to pick up on. And I definitely want to dig more into your role on mentoring. But actually, on that topic, you mentioned quite early on in your story there, some of the other revenue leaders that you learned from before really starting to assume that role yourself. So what was perhaps one of the most valuable things you learned from maybe one of these leaders or across all of them that you've really carried into your own career? I think I've told them this before, but John Eld for me, who's now the president of ScanSource, was a leader for me at Symantec. And hit the theory of his theory was always take it up a level. So oftentimes we find ourselves operating at a very tactical day-to-day problem-solving level. And what we don't do, whether it's with family or in business, is we don't really look up above the noise to understand what's root cause for that particular challenge or problem. And so if you find yourself in a position where you're in a very noisy environment, you know, I often ask my team or my leaders, can just take it up a level. What, what's driving this problem? Or are you solving for a a symptom or are you solving for the root cause? Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top-performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. 
link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. Absolutely. It reminds me a lot of a previous guest that I had on that talked about the mental model of the five whys. And so I feel like you approach it almost in a slightly different way, but you're taking the what's right in front of you and you're asking why. And so, oh, because it's been caused by this. Yeah, but why? And to really dig for a deeper to get to the heart of the issue where it's like, and that's the real thing that we need to focus on here because it's creating this chain effect moving up. Well, exactly. I mean, again, you can always find yourself as a revenue leader in the tactics. And oftentimes, and this goes back to what's fun about smaller organizations is oftentimes you've got the ability to pivot. And so if you find yourself going down a path that's not particularly valuable or is not working, you can pull yourself up and kind of inspect the data to say, what's happening either in our messaging, we attacking the problem, is our target from a buyer persona correct as an example is we launched the SaaSSure platform, one of the core buyer personas will somewhat be VPs of engineering. So we provide data protection for things like Bitbucket and GitHub. But oftentimes VPs of engineering don't have that huge budget that they can allocate to new platforms. And so it's, again, you've got to take those moments to understand, am I messaging to the correct person or should it be to the CIO and really think through solving for those types of challenges? Absolutely. Now, you were talking about mentoring young companies to, I think, keep that razor's edge in in bringing new products to market. Can you perhaps speak a bit more to maybe some examples that young companies are doing that perhaps you're applying at a Segra that other kind of legacy enterprise-sized businesses can learn from? So part of the challenge with young companies, again, really identifying that product market fit and making sure that they've got the right product market fit. And through that is being clear about buyer persona, messaging, doing your A-B testing. And all of that is what you should be doing as a revenue leader, whether you're at Google or Microsoft, or whether you're at three guys in a truck, managed service provider trying to build a business. And so again, don't think of yourself as so special that you can get away from inspecting what's working and what's not and trying new messaging. So again, the classical tactics in doing that inspection of the results will inform approaches going forward. So there's no, I don't want to say there's no real rocket science there, but again, often people want to just use email or just use the thing of the day for everybody I'm sure right now is automated LinkedIn messaging. So if you can, you know, if I can find a way to automate my four messages via LinkedIn. But the real challenge is, are you thinking about the people that you need to be doing personalized outreach to? Are you doing that effectively? And are you finding a way in any demand generation leader that's listening to this podcast knows, are you investing time in the people that you want to have conversations with? So are you looking at what they're posting? Are are you engaging in their content? And are you finding a way into their business that will help them, not help you, but will help them grow their business? So again, it's kind of, don't forget the basic tactics. Make sure you're doing the work correctly and inspecting it. And then the second piece is making sure that you're authentic in what you're striving for from a relationship perspective. And I think you make a really interesting point, particularly around being authentic and also helping them to find the solution that they need. And I guess this may be like a bit of a leading question. Do you think that's something that some businesses are losing sight of in as we kind of enter 2024? I think everyone's challenged by it because we've been so overwhelmed with the sales marketing tech stack, 
in trying to interpret how is this new tool going to solve for my long-term problem? And I think whether you're using a EBSTA and using it for revenue insights or some of the other platforms, yeah, you need one platform to inspect the data and drive insight, but you don't need 16. We're a HubSpot shop here at Asigra. You've got a lot of fantastic capabilities. So a little bit don't get lost in the tooling. You need to do the work. And, and I often share, for those that live in the technology world, the story of my father-in-law, who's a Wayne Brownies, led a building business in Louisiana for the last 52 years, right? And so one of the things that we do, I think, in technology sales these days, so often people are moving, is we struggle to maintain those relationships. And so I think you and I chat a little bit before this about the concept of a transactional relationship and the need to move away from that, right? How do you move away from just being a transactional seller, but not only transact, but then carry through the relationship? So are you really delivering the value that you promised? Are you partnering with your customer success team to carry through that value? So again, for revenue leaders out there, it's the storyboard of, do you really understand your customer journey and all of the pieces of it? And then are you looking at the data to tell you where are relationships challenged or failing for you? Is it in your onboarding? Is it taking too long to get people to value with your particular platform? So again, that's part of the, I think, creating those authentic relationships and then maintaining them. And Wayne's storyboard is, he's been maintaining relationships in the Shreveport, Louisiana for 50 years. For a lot of us, that's simply not available. We don't have the chance to be in one market for that long and build those authentic and trusted relationships. But again, that's authenticity, integrity are the things I think that will carry us all forward in a positive way. I have to say I agree. And I, I would invite you to maybe expand on this notion of moving away from being transactional. I think you gave a, a couple of kind of brief examples there, but I'd love to hear it perhaps in your words of maybe if we imagine it that you were going back to being a seller yourself, how would you approach sure. um, moving away from being transactional and really viewing customers in a way where it's like, what we're aiming for here is that long-term partnership, which I think are two very different entities. Well, and I'll use the example of a Seeger as a simple one. I think if I'm a younger seller today, you think about our go-to-market is largely through managed service providers. And those are going to be relationships. Our founders, uh, David and Aaron Ferjun, we've had relationships with managed service providers we've been working with for 10 plus years. These have been customers that have been great to us. So if you're a younger seller out there and you're thinking, hey, I'm just going to, I'm getting commission on this one transaction. I've got my 12 month ARR quota ticked. What now? You know, the what now is, do you maintain the relationship and ask, 60 days in after that person is engaged with your onboarding team, as they've made the transition to your customer success team, are you checking in? Have you put a tickler in your CRM to check in with them and make sure that they're getting the outcome they desire? Are you maintaining that relationship on LinkedIn? Whether you sold them a year ago, a revenue platform, and this year you sold them a cybersecurity platform, but are you maintaining that relationship over time and continuing to engage and learn from them? It takes effort. You know, one of my goals for 2024 was making sure that I was doing a better job of kind of reconnecting with peers and friends from years past. But for each of the young sellers out there, if, if I were to put my go backwards hat on, I'd probably do a bit of a better job of making sure that I actively, not passively, not just posted some junk on LinkedIn or 
whatever social platform you desire, but that I actively engaged with my customers, partners, contacts to really, really build that local network and relationship set. I love that because it resonates a lot for me as well, even in the realm of guests that come onto this podcast, right? I I simply set a goal for myself this year where it's like, so often it's, we have the conversation and, but the relationship then often is, you know, very much based on just the podcast itself. And actually, I think you phrase it really nicely, which is being actively trying to nurture that relationships. And I think perhaps that comes from having the intent behind it as well, which is what is the intent that I'm trying to pursue here with this relationship? What could this potentially lead to? I mean, ultimately for me in a podcast sense, it's really getting under the skin of the experiences of folks like yourself in terms of doing this on a day-to-day basis. Well, and and as sellers too, oftentimes people can, younger sellers again, can find themselves in search of the almighty dollar. And that's really what's driving the behavior. But in the sense of, if you're not passionate about the thing that you do, or how you engage in a meaningful way with the people and partners around you, they'll feel that. And it's always, it's a guy who interviews lots and lots of people over the years. If you bring passion and energy to our interview and you've done your research, you've done the work and you kind of, I can feel that. That's a way to distinguish yourself from your peer group. Too often people come and they say, well, look at my background. Isn't that nice? You know, I'm great for you. But that's not it. It's again, doing things with intent. There's a leadership coach that we do work with. And so we invest in our people here at Asegra. And there's a gentleman by the name of Lance Secretan, who's got a great book. And so take the time to, to look him up. But again, it's part of that human, making people human and not just things in our day-to-day engagements. And I think that's really important for people to take away is in this new world of go write your next blog post using chat GPT. I can't tell whether you did it. If you're using the word keen, I know you did it. I know you didn't do it. But it's again, it's how do you distinguish yourself in the new world? And a lot of that will be your job in maintaining those relationships with intent, empathy, and authenticity. Yeah, it's such an interesting point. That's something that I guess Ebster as a company are very much interested in as well, which is, I like to think of it as like how to be human or like human-led sales in an age of AI. And so there is now, you kind of touched on it, the ability to be able to use chat GPT, for example, to draft your emails. It makes productivity and efficiency uh, far more prevalent, which is great up until a certain point where all of a sudden, I think you start to lose the effectiveness of it. So in terms of being able to actually scale that, that becomes a limiting factor very quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. But again, those things are needed. So you can't diminish using email, using some of the automation to get yourself in front of people. But make sure as soon as you get the opportunity to be in front of that person that you've done the work to hit the ball out of the park with that initial engagement. And this is, I think, one of the things that think about a topic that your sales leaders are probably maybe struggling with is, am I outsourcing my BDR community? If I've got a product-led growth option with a simple-to-use product, am I driving an inside sales team or am I still leveraging a BDR team? And these are challenges, again, as you think about the multiple products that you're dealing with, I'd love to get people's feedback on what they're doing in today's age, using automation to get first meeting and then bringing a seller in to drive to close. Are you still trying to drive with BDRs who may be costing you $500 to $1,000 per first meeting? Is that the efficiency that you need or want? And I think that's, a again, a very, very 
in the moment conversation for a lot of revenue leaders. Now that's smaller organizations at scale. Sure. Everybody needs demand and BDRs. But again, as, as you go down into smaller organizations, say hundred million below, I think they're really meaningful conversations to have. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right in terms of the, I'm also very curious on the specific examples. And if you're listening to this and it's like, oh, I've got a great example. We'd love to hear it on LinkedIn. On, I think it's the role that it plays, maybe not to, you know, it's not to replace the salesperson's job per se, but it's actually to support them. In it. And I can speak to this from a, I guess, a technology perspective where when EBSA was first started, it was coming at it from the premise of, well, you don't want to be having to manually tick, put my email and this contact into the CRM because it's just very time consuming and quite tedious. I'd rather be focused on having meetings and meeting prospects and customers and so on. And I think that's what will start to emerge a lot more this year is those practical use cases of it, where it's not just, yep, we're using it for just low value activity. It's how it can be used to enhance the high value activity that sellers are doing. Yeah. And I think it's also, if you think about some of the automation capabilities, the ability to go in and kind of read. So if you're following uh, Wayne Riddles at Toyota Financial, who's the CISO there, if you're, you're following Wayne and you want to read what he's posting about, or you don't have the 30 minutes to read the book that he just posted about, and you want the quick snippet so that you can find a way to engage in a conversation with someone like that. Those are the ways to use the tools or to help you build. For example, we run quarterly sales plays. So again, thinking about strategy and how do you operate on a quarterly basis, we're pretty programmatic around our, our quarterly sales plays, the set of targets that we have on a quarterly basis, who is marketing accountable for, who is sales accountable for, and what are our partners doing. But in all cases, we run a cadence and that cadence is informed by topics that are weekly blog posts. And so that's where, again, an AI chat GPT can help inform your approach or help you book in or bulletize what that cadence is going to look like. And then it's up to you to be the content creator behind that. And so again, use the tools, but don't let them use you. Again, people can, not that everybody can read through what's a chat GPT post, but it's starting to get abusive. And so again, make sure the content that you're delivering back to your earlier question late around how do we make those authentic connections? How do we build those relationships? It's I'm looking to help the managed service partners that we deal with grow their business and further secure and de-risk their customers' environments. And if I can help educate them on the how they do that and the why, hey, that's really what I'm here to do for them as a provider to their business. Yeah, absolutely. I want to pull us out of the AI rabbit hole that we've gone down and actually bring us back to the, we've been talking a lot about your role mentoring, so mentoring young companies. And I'm quite interested to know, what's the most common advice that you have to give that still surprises you? So what are the young companies perhaps doing quite frequently that you're like, oh my God, why is this still happening? And so there's, and we'll talk about, we've got a couple of books, but if you're a startup founder and you're interested in a, in a book, A, Y Combinator has a great, their Y Combinator school is fantastic. Go through the podcast, it's great. But then Mash, Ash Myra wrote Lean Stack. And it, it part of that storyboard is founders get so stuck on their product in the thing that they're not able to get out to the customer. What does the customer really want? And so there's this simple concept of making sure that you're doing customer interviews. And for those of you that are young founders or you're at a startup releasing a new product, just simply approaching people in your market space saying, 
here's what we're doing. We're seeking your advice on this platform that we're launching. You know, a cheat code there is, hey, we're starting up a customer advisory board. We'd love for you to pay, take part. Again, you can use these as tools to get engagement. But too often, again, people get locked into what the product does is the classic feature function challenge rather than solving the customer problem. That's part one. Part two is, I mentioned it again, sales is not rock and science. You got to do the work. You've got to build a list of targets. You've got to reach out to those targets. You've got to find a way to connect with those targets. And too often, again, young companies, they don't have the muscle memory because they don't, they're often product leaders or they kind of miss that sales marketing function or their founder-led sellers. You've got to find a way to build repeatability in that and you've got to go do the work, right? So that it's, if you will, do the work around reaching out, asking for engagement, using your relationships right, to drive you to secondary LinkedIn connections. Very simple strategy of, I may not know Timmy at Walmart, but the person that I'm talking to at logistics company A has a great relationship with him or her. Again, doing the work to find ways into those relationships, it never ceases to surprise me how people think that people are just going to find them. Product-led growth doesn't happen for very many people. People have got to be really crisp about that. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top-performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. Yeah, I'm not surprised, <laughs> which uh, in terms of like what you're noticing, because I've seen it a lot myself. And I suppose this is something that you can really speak to in terms of your expertise on bringing new products into the market in lots of the companies that you've gone into. So could you perhaps speak to like, if you're going into a new role, the company's bringing a new product to market. And with that point in mind of really thinking about the customer and how your solution helps to solve their problem, what's your process for like aligning that of creating the strategy that aligns your product to the customer and the problem that they're having? First, you've got to go through classic product market fit. So what is your go-to-market? And you've got to inform or have an opinion against that. So again, that goes back as I was just talking about performing those customer interviews or partner interviews to understand, are you actually solving the problem that you believe you are with the technology that you're bringing to market? It's again, engagement and conversations. So doing that work and then building out your basic, here's our go-to-market strategy. You all can go read a jillion books on how to build go-to-market strategy, your buyer personas, your messaging, your pricing. And again, knowing your market, I'll give you an example again with the Segra. If you think about managed service providers as a go-to-market, managed service providers often sell their platforms on a per-seat basis. So I charge, you know, small SMB company, $26 a month for my IT services. And when they work with those customers, oftentimes they've taken ownership of that. And so pricing strategy for an MSP is often, it's vanilla across their entire customer set. So 
if I've got a product that I'm bringing to you, it's going to be $2 more per seat across the entire customer set. So again, knowing who you're selling to and how they go to market. Again, being able to speak their language. If you were selling compliance automation platforms to small, medium businesses, knowing how they're going to consume that, knowing what the audit process might look like on the back end of it. So again, knowing how your customer is going to use your product and being informed enough to actually execute against that. So again, getting that, that buyer persona, again, your targets correct and your overarching messaging correct along with your pricing strategy, doing that work and then going out and testing. Again, nothing replaces a customer conversation. And it's something I think, Lee, that EFSTA does, which is inspection of kind of video content or transcripts for outcomes. And I would tell this to any revenue leader out there, if you are the one that's telling your product team why the product's not working, you're missing an opportunity, a significant one. You've got to leverage the voice of your customer or your partner to inform your product and engineering team on what's happening. And that way, again, it takes you out of the role of being, sure, you can coalesce those into high-level bullets, but I want you to inform those bullets based upon what your customers and partners are telling you. If you aren't using a, a Fathom.video or a Fireflies to record your calls, again, you're missing an opportunity there to use tools to inform your company on why A or B is working. So again, that's really the basics. The, the last thing I would say for any young revenue team or anyone really is having a cadence to a quarter. And so again, as you bring a product to market, the, things get messy. They get messy really, really quick. And so understanding dates and then having a cadence around how you engage marketing, how you inspect your data, how you inspect your sellers and the work that they're doing. What does that look like on a weekly, on a monthly, and on a quarterly basis? And do that in a repeatable manner where people begin to expect this is what's going to happen. They know what you want. Uh, we always used to say there's a margin in mystery. But inside of the sales house, the worst thing I think any leader or really anyone can do is not clearly set expectations with their team around goals and desired outcomes. If you leave them to wonder and you just give them a quota number, you don't help them break it down and understand how they get to that quota number, again, that's challenging. So for us, it's again, that cadence and then the expectation setting. If we get to that goal, fantastic. Everybody gets a thumbs up, we bridge through it. If you don't, again, that's your opportunity to pivot and go seek a different path. I talked for a while, so I'll, I'll shut up and maybe that's some general good guidance there, Lee. No, I loved it. And a, a penultimate question, really, because I just wanted to ask, you made a really good point of not just setting a quota and being like, yeah, have at it. Yep. What are you setting in between that so that you are ensuring that you're getting the right outcomes? I would phrase it in like maybe the way of like metrics or leading indicators, but I'm just really interested to know what, how you would really build those targets. Yeah, no, for us, it's just backwards math. I mean, it's really not all that complex. So what's your average deal size? What's the activity level? Kind of, again, if we all look at our funnels, we should know what our conversion rates are from MQL to SQL to opportunity, time to close. And I always, again, for your sellers out there, look, if we know we're going to fire you, we're going to know six months in advance that we're going to fire you because we can see the, the pipeline fall off. We can see the activity fall off. And again, tools like an EFSTA, whatever revenue platform you're using, should be giving you those insights into your funnel, not only on a team basis or on a company basis, but on an individual basis. And that's really where as a frontline leader, so if you're a district manager, 
you know, as a frontline leader, that you're doing the work to inspect each of your team members' activity as it relates to pipeline and then through pipeline to conversion. And this is the part we mentioned earlier about those authentic relationships and maintaining relationships. So, and again, there's everybody talks about it, but that handoff post conversion, right? So the transaction through to customer success. Again, so many people, so many new products fail on that handoff period and making sure that we enable the customer to get the value that we promised from the platform post deal close. So really making sure that you're laser tight on what that looks like and that you've got an engagement process post deal close to continue driving revenue and or referrals through that customer relationship. So there was a lot said there, but again, inspection on activity, again, your daily work, for those of you that aren't doing this, shame on you, but again, go do your daily work. It's activity metrics, it's pipeline, it's calls, and then it's how is this individual seller converting against their funnel as compared to their peers and then the company. Brilliant. Stephen, let me ask you one final question. And you've referenced, to use your words, a bazillion books through this. So I will know for anyone listening, if you were like, wait, what was that again? I'll make sure that we put links to a lot of those down below. But I did want to ask you, and what is one book that you'd recommend to other revenue leaders? Yeah, so for me, it's the Sales Acceleration Formula by Mark Roberge. I read that when I stepped out of Symantec and went to Cyberbit. So went from you know very large organization to smaller. And it's his ability, it, A, it's a fun read. So you all enjoy it. But B, it's kind of taking higher level strategies and then distilling those into tactics that you can deploy on your own. It's a little bit older now, but it's still so relevant for any SaaS, any really any technology company, any company in talking about how you go do the work how you do the hiring, how to think about your messaging, how to think about recruiting. It's just a wealth of information and knowledge. And it's really a fantastic storyboard too. So makes for a good read, not just a tactical, hey, think about these metrics. Thomas Tungs is telling you what kind of CAC metrics you need to be thinking about today. It's, it's a pretty fun read. I concur. And it's definitely one for the reading list in 2024 if you haven't come across it before. The one thing we've got to work on for you is we've got to find that classic like NPR bookcase behind you, right? Where we can all read the <laughs> yeah. titles. I mean, this is, yeah, I'm, uh, if anyone's out there feeling generous, I need a new bookcase. <laughs> Getting a bit out of hand <laughs> behind me. For anyone listening, I've about 40 books stacked on a bedside table. Alas, Stephen, it's been a pleasure having you on. Really, really good insights that you shared today. For anyone listening that maybe they've gotten some questions off the back of some of the stuff that you said, or maybe they just want to connect, where can they find you? On LinkedIn is the easiest place. My contact information's out there. For all of you BDRs, you can schedule a meeting with me. Please make sure you tell me why you'd schedule a meeting with me. I try and make myself available you know, very busy guy, but LinkedIn's the easiest place. It's just Stephen Thomas, C-I-S-S-P, uh, LinkedIn.com at it. You can find me on Twitter. I don't post as often as I used to, but, or X, as we should say. <laughs> but Lee, hey, thanks for having me on it. It was a fun conversation. Hopefully, you know, if someone's gotten this far in the conversation, they've learned some things. And again, for those that have gotten this far, if you've got things that I can learn from you, I'm always open to learning. I think that's part of our journey as individuals and leaders. So appreciate you making time for me. No problem at all. It's been a pleasure. And uh, I think that's probably a first. That's the first guest that I've had that has opened their door to BDRs reaching out to them. Do it well, team. I'll judge you. I promise. I'll, <laughs> you don't get it in the first 15 seconds of that phone call. I'm hanging up. <laughs> I respect that. Stephen, thank you so much again. And uh, for everyone that's listened this week, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. 
Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.